Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. A very good morning to you and thanks uh, for tuning in and this week installments of Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimrod Tembele. As always, I'm pleased to share this space and time with you as we continue to interrogate some of the very complex um, issues um, in society with a view to accentuate some resolution in our personal and business spaces. In today's conversation, we are putting a spotlight on the fraternity of art and culture, which without any shade of doubt, remains one of the cornerstones of liberty and economic empowerment. In today's conversation, I'm joined by a very uh, powerful young lady by the name of Panessa Macheta, who is a filmmaker, producer, and personal development coach. And we want to get into the space of arts and cultures, as I've already alluded to, that far too many South Africans who are so gifted, either musicians, uh, television production, the entire fraternity of arts, so to speak, majority of them are global icons. And yet, when they die, they die poor. And the question is, what is it that we do wrong? Why is it that so many whom would have been so successful by any stretch of imagination die poor? So that's one question that I really want to my guest in this glorious morning to give us a, a perspective for, I believe she is better qualified to give us her thought, her insights on very complex issue. Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to welcome Balisa Mahed. Good morning and welcome to Beyond Governance. Good morning, Namrod. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a privilege and it's always a welcome opportunity when one wants to to hear your views. So thanks for having me. Lovely, ma'am. Uh, you know, I've looked at your very interesting resume and sometimes it is best if a person tell the listeners who they really are. But I don't think I'll do justice. For a moment, okay. could you just tell the listener who is Palisa Macheta? My name is Palisa Macheta. I am 38 years young. <laughs> I've got a 15-year-old daughter. I'm very passionate about raising her, being a custodian, I guess, over her life. Uh, and I want great things for her. I have always been passionate about the art. And I think that has a lot to do with um, the fact that I grew up in that environment. Um, my father actually is the legendary Jerry Mufukeng Wamakheta. And um, I fell in love with storytelling at a really young age, you know. I'm also a personal development coach, as you, as, as you mentioned. I'm one person who can't ignore, I think, issues, who can't ignore society's ills, you know, and one thing I'm gifted with, I believe, is is communication and just seeing people and being able to identify what their needs are, um, the conversations they need to have. So that's how I got into that space. And yeah, that's me in a nutshell. As we continue, Palisa, I just want to draw your, your, your perhaps maybe get a sense from you based on what uh, Busi Temegwaya once said in his blog, mm. that South Africans are the most talented, artists are the most talented in the world. Mm. What's your take just on that point only? I think we are very talented, but I think that we are mismanaged. So we hardly ever reach our, our full potential. The, the thing about art is that it's a passion sport, you know, it's, it's a passion thing, you know, but 
the truth of the matter is we live in the world uh, to live in this world. You need to be resourced. You need to, you know what I mean? You need a roof over your head. You need transportation. You need water. You need These are all things that need money. And I, I, I think that as much as we are talented, we are not very well versed on how the talent translates into sustenance, into looking after ourselves. Yeah, I think that's the biggest issue. And I couldn't agree with you more because I mean, he also um, concluded in his supposition that majority of artists are trapped in poverty, which begs the question, obviously the entertainment side of things, it's laudable, we all appreciate who they are and we celebrate them on a daily basis. And what seems to be glaring in the issue of the business side of art, which is the focal point of our conversation. Here's the, I think what's tricky about the arts is that when you are an actor, when you are a musician, you are on a public platform, people celebrate, they applaud. When you walk into a room, there's noise, there's cameras, there's, you know, there's all this fanfare around it. And I think that people do not look at the practicality of it. They don't look like at, at the at the business of it. And when people are, a lot of people don't become artists because it's a passion. A lot of people become artists because they want to be famous, you know. So I think because that's the case, it's also very easy to exploit such a person, you know. So you'll say to them, okay, uh, I'm going to fly you to this province for this performance. I'm going to put you up in a great hotel. You've got a driver. You've got a concierge putting tons of drinks in your dressing room. Um, but then you pay the artist a pittance. But because it looks pretty and because it gets a thousand likes on Instagram or whatever it is, the person is not cognizant of the fact that they're actually being undervalued, underpaid, etc. You know, so so I, I think that I think that um especially when when people go to art school, there needs to be emphasis put on the business of the art. There needs to be emphasis put on if you're going to be freelancer. Let's say you're a freelancer. You're getting a three-month gigs, two-week gigs. What? How are you dealing with, with your money management? How, as an artist, if you're a freelancer, are you able to get a bond from the bank? Because you don't have a salary, right? So you can't submit a payslip, et cetera, et cetera. How, as an artist... I mean, a lot of us don't know, like we'll do our first jobs and then we get taxed 25%. As freelancers, we get taxed 25%. But we're not savvy about our tax returns. We're not savvy about the fact that we've got options like keeping all our slips for all our receipts. Like when we go out to eat or when we're pouring petrol, that that can be that the best thing to do for us is actually to register a business and get get paid into the business. It makes it, it gives us a lot more access to the things that we need to live. There just isn't really a lot of education around money because people are almost blinded by the fanfare around the art, which is not sustainable at the end of the day and doesn't feed you. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you've raised quite a number of pertinent issues that one, as a brand, you need to consider yourself as a business. And you need to equip yourself with all the fundamentals of business, uh, you know, either from a tax point of view and make, making sure that you, you, you are compliant and everything that you do in the name of business, you keep your records for human sake. One would argue, Vanessa, that these are pretty much straightforward and over and above being straightforward, there's so much lessons that you've learned 
in history by the forebearers or those that had fallen in a very poverty-stricken environment. Why is this cycle being perpetuated from where you're sitting? You know, Nimrod, if you really think about it, let's say I'll give you an example. When someone enters the banking sector, even as, as a teller, let's say, right? It's formal employment, right? Even a cashier shop, right? Whatever it is. What happens is that their money is almost managed for them. They say, okay, this is your salary. This is your tax. This is what goes towards UIF. This is what goes towards pays you earn. This is what goes towards medical aid. It's almost like someone, the company holds their hand. With artists, you just get paid. <laughs> you just get paid. So you're this, you're this uh, 21-year-old or whatever it is. You've just become famous. You know, you've hit, you've got this great show. Your salary is all paid into your account and there's, and, and there's no guidance around that. So I, I don't think it is obvious. It's not obvious when you get your first salary that, listen, okay, maybe I should be looking at making, um, putting something towards my retirement, putting something towards UIF in case I find myself unemployed, um, putting something towards medical aid because God forbid I get sick. So we get these large amounts of money and it is large amounts. The thing is we get large amounts and then we get, we have no work for a few months, but we get large amounts. And I think there's just this temptation to be to be wasteful, you know, and it's not obvious to be practical about how you make sure that money can sustain you for the next three months, because also there's pressure, right? Because now you're in the public eye. People are looking at what you wear. They're saying, oh, she's wearing Mr. Price jeans, but she's on this show. Oh, she's wearing this. Oh, she's drinking this. Oh, this is the kind of car she's driving. Now you're not using an Uber X, you're using an Uber Black because you want to make sure that you arrive in a nice car. So I don't think it's obvious. And I don't think that we're empowered to make the right money choices as artists. Interesting observation. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, you haven't really missed quite a bit. I'm joined by Bale Samachet, who is a filmmaker, producer, and a personal development. We are probing very interesting phenomenon in a context of the arts fraternity. We have noted far too many instances where non-global icons of South Africans in this particular context who have really made it and yet when the success does not translate into financial reward or does not translate to financial standing which enable them to live beyond their profile. So the issue that I'm putting to Balesa is what is it that needs to be done differently by art and culture fraternity, by making sure that these celebrities, individuals that we admire so much, they are able to manage their assets, or at least manage and create good asset base so that they don't die poor. And it's quite disheartening to see a lot of very talented people who die poor. It is in that context that we have in this particular conversation for it is such an important liberating ethos, if you like. Vanessa, before we took that short break, you made a very interesting observation that artists get paid lots and lots of money in some instances. And mm-hmm. I suppose the money doesn't really okay or the payment are not regular. And you could get like two, three hundred thousand bands or whatever it is once mm-hmm. over. So it does require a very sober approach to financial planning. It does mm-hmm. require an understanding of how you manage your 
assets and how you manage your business. And you said to me, it is not obvious um, because there's a lot of pressures that people go through because they are celebrities. They everything it has to mm-hmm. look like they they have made it, even if they've not made it. Yeah, their lives are being watched. The choices around where they stay, what they drive, what they wear are being judged on a daily basis. They're being dragged on Twitter. They're being dragged on blogs on Instagram. You know what I mean? It's quite an unnatural space if you if you really think about it. A lot of people think that it's nice to be famous, but but if you have conversations with people who are navigating fame, a lot of them will express the regret of choosing that path because they always say, I didn't know what it actually meant for me. I didn't know that I can't have a bad day where I just want to step out in my tracksuit with no makeup and I'm not going to find myself in Sunday Sun or whatever it is with them having zoomed in on my bags and my zit and speculating that, oh, is my relationship over or whatever it is. I'm not allowed to visibly have a bad day. I always have to look put together. Um, I always have to look like I'm on brand with trends. I always have to be ready with a smile. Otherwise, I'm mean and I'm full of myself because I don't want to take a picture on that day. It's a very, very stressful. It's a stressful space. And I think that on top of a lot of artists not being financially literate, there's also then the amount of artists that we have who struggle with with their mental health you know, because of the space as well, you know, so, so yeah, it affects so many things. And I think that people don't think that far, you know, and I think that people don't see beyond their envy of fame, their envy of being a personality, you know, they, a lot of artists, I think, feel like they aren't seen as human. They actually don't feel like they're seen as human and they don't feel like they belong to themselves. Quite tragic when you put it like that. One of the issues that I think we were so spot on is the issue of mental health of artists. And mm. that on its own obviously needs someone who is present, who appreciates himself or herself, and people who are surrounded by good family, family structure or any other structure for that matter. But having mm. said that, let's take a, again, the, the brand. To what extent do you think managing a brand as an artist, how important it is and how to commercialize your brand? You know, I've thought around this and I think that what would make sense for me would be for agents, actors, agents, musicians, managers, etc. Those people who handle artists to offer services beyond booking jobs. Because what agents do is they have relationships with casting directors Um, when a brief comes out for a show, they'll send you to the audition. If you book the job, then they manage your schedule, they manage your payments, you know what I mean? They calculate your tag, they do all that. You know, they send you your call sheets, make sure you get your scripts. But I think that if agents looked at, I, I feel like if I were to be an agent, an actor's agent, I would want to have maybe uh, an entertainment law behind, a law degree behind me. You know what I mean? Where I'm then also able to educate my artists on, okay, yes, I'm booking you these jobs, but as an artist, this is how you make sure that you are financially stable. 
um, these are the things that you need to have in place. You you get what you get what I mean. And then also just your agent actually needs to somewhat be your friend. You know, they need to be saying, I'm, I'm sensing that you're working too much here. You know, they like an HR of sorts. You know, I'm seeing burnout here. You don't seem like you're yourself. But I think agents really are also just there to make their money. I think it's irresponsible. I think it's selfish. And I think that they're in a position that could extend a lot more towards the well-being of the artists, mentally, financially. You know what I mean? Um, I think that agents should maybe look at becoming those people in artists' lives. Interesting observation from that point. And again, one of the issues that you so spot on is the issue of education. I would imagine every single artist needs to equip himself or herself by some kind of basic qualification. You don't necessarily need to have lots of these, but there's certain basic qualifications that one could have. I mean, financial management, I would imagine, that's one yeah. big thing. All artists, uh, in my view, should be exposed to, you know, the law of contracting. But yes. it's another big um, item which all artists need to be exposed to. Your, your take on mm. those two. No, no, no. I, I definitely think that should be a prerequisite. But the thing is, it isn't. You know, it, it, it isn't. And and when you have, I don't know if you remember the Yo! TV presenters or the mm-hmm. KTV presenters who were 13, 14, 15 year old kids who were suddenly making a ton of money. How, what do you tell a person like that? Um, when this person is, is 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 already making a lot of money at by the age by age eighteen. At eighteen they can do what they want. They're an adult, right? They can drive, they can drink, they can, you know, and they're already making a lot of money. What what makes them want to go get any sort of qualification? The thing with art is that what qualifies you is delivery. You could put out one hit song, you know what I mean? And if millions of people agree that your song is great and they go on streaming services and they buy it. That's how the money comes in. That's what qualifies you. So how even I as a parent, how do I then say to you, no, I need you to go back to school and look into financial management and contracting. And thus, when you're already making money, it's tricky. You know, it's tricky. It's, it's, one, it's one of those spaces where anything can happen without you having spent a day in any sort of lecture or anything. You could just sometimes raw talent will take you exactly where you need to go. You don't need anyone to have imparted any sort of education behind your music, your acting. Some people can just act. It's just something that's in them. Some people can just dance. Some people can just make music. You know what I mean? My brother just started playing the piano, you know, and then my parents kind of channeled it because they saw, oh, he's got the talent for this. And then it was the guitar, it was the saxophone, it was being a vocalist, and, and there wasn't much education behind it. He finished high school when he was 16. You know, because he was a musical genius, you know, and they sent him to an art school because they saw that that's what he was going to do. You know, so how do you tell someone who is already what can be perceived as successful that they need to go sit behind a desk? What makes them want to do that? Absolutely. Let's take a break and come back in a second on that very interesting point. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back and thanks for joining us once again. Uh, I am having a very interesting conversation with Palisa Macheta, who is a filmmaker, producer and personal development. The gist of our conversation on this glorious morning is the business side of arts. And this issue has been brought forward by unpleasant instances where 
vast majority of our you know creative artists in the South African context and globally for that matter who have made so much impact in our lives but those kinds of impact don't necessarily translate in the success in their own particular financial spaces so the question is what needs to be done differently by the arts fraternity so that those that pass on they are able to live their legacy and the legacy should also translate to tangibles, should translate to very good financial basis for their generations, for their children, and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, we do not seem to have the bulk of artists who are financially thought after. So that is the biggest issue that we're trying to probe. And personally, we get into the insights on best way through which these artists can manage themselves differently. But it's, you know, coming back, one of the biggest questions that perhaps maybe one might ask is, in your space, to what extent do you think government is involved in educating and communicating or advocating for some form of reliance, self-reliance in this particular space? Is government visible? Simply, definitely not. definitely not i think government cares about the space and celebrates the space we're on camera you know what i mean when we're when we're performing at at anc rallies or eff rallies that's that's when we are visible to them and that's because we are useful to them at that point but no i i don't think that government cares about the art space i don't I don't. And and I think this is also also evidence of that in how much exploitation and abuse exists in exists in our industry. You know, other industries have HR. The arts don't have HR. Let me tell you, Nimrod, and, 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 and it's something that we always say. The art space, if someone your executive producer sways at you or whatever, there's no one to go report to. If someone, and the thing is, we, we work very closely. It's a, art is very intimate, right? And you'll find spaces where, where people will be inappropriate with you. You know what I mean? But there's no one to report to. You find a lot of, a lot of directors, a lot of prominent men in the industry who are known for giving jobs only to girls and women who'll sleep with them. Government knows about that. Are they doing anything about it? No. So no, the government does not care about our industry, simply. Quite sad to hear that, um, to yeah. be told. Because, I mean, when you look at the, the value of arts in terms of well, its contribution to the GDP, mm. it's quite significant. And it's quite disheartening to hear you know, people such as yourself in this who are well grounded and knowledgeable about the sector expressing mm-hmm. frustrations in relation to government support. So, but if you were to be an advisor to the Minister of Arts and Culture, what are the basis, what are the fundamentals that you would impart to him to ensure that there is some form of restoration of dignity for artists? What would that be? I think the first thing I'd speak to him about is around certain things that need to be regulated. There's been a trend in the past couple of years where because our industry is so saturated and so many people want to be famous, there is also a lot of financial exploitation. I would say that he needs to put in place, um, I guess, regulations slash rules around the number of hours one can work in a day around okay we call it rates like your call rate like minimum rates like for even a 
a first-time actor or actress, they're not going to work for less than 1,500 rand a day. Around how many, how many jobs one person <laughs> can be doing at a time? You find the same person on a radio show on a and they on a they presenting this TV show they acting in this TV show when there's so many people looking for jobs i just think a lot of it needs to be a lot more regulated and there's someone who needs to keep an eye on that and it needs to be put on paper as law because there's no one regulating how this industry runs you know what I mean? That's why you see the same faces everywhere. Like there are people who are monopolizing this industry, making a fortune from this industry, whereas we have so many artists who, who don't have work. And it's not because they're not talented. It's because people don't want to... We, we've become so focused on profitability. I'll, I'll give you an example. Now when you go to an audition... Right. And I don't know when this happened. When you go to an audition, they literally ask you to write on your audition form how many followers you have on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, um, how many friends you have on Facebook. Right. Because they don't want to do the groundwork of having to having to promote new artists. They'd rather just use someone who already has a face because then they don't, they don't have to do much marketing, which is irresponsible, which is not right, and which compromises the integrity of the art. Goodness. Gee, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in that particular space. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's come back to issue of regulations. And, and But what about industry bodies? I mean, business, there are a lot of associations. Mm-hmm that are there to advocate and yeah. lobby government to do the right thing. Some of the issues that you have put forward, surely there are institutions in the arts um, segment that could be used as an instrument that lobby government and other interest groups so that these issues are being, you know, are being attended to. There are some bodies that exist, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to name them because I don't have anything positive say about them but there are bodies that exist right but um you know rot starts at the top right rot starts at the top and and unfortunately we we do live in this country where corruption is rife you know and the people that head these bodies in my particular industry um, as long as they are eating by themselves, they really they're not worried about us as artists. We don't have people that sit on these bodies with integrity. So the bodies exist, but we don't have people who sit on these boards who have integrity. It's corruption through and through. That's not nice to hear, but <laughs> and again, one could argue the need for men and women of stature to assume those particular spaces, the entire arts fraternity to speak with one voice, lobby government and private sector business, you know, to ensure that some of these things are really sorted. You can imagine if arts and culture fraternity, if you like, were to be regulated or to be managed differently Mm. by empowering individuals who are so brilliant in what they do, the difference in the economy is just so great. Surely mm-hmm. it is in our best interest. You know what the thing is, Nimrod? The thing is that 
people who do try to speak up, people who do try to bring these issues to light. Um, there's something in this industry called being blacklisted. It's happened to me and I work behind the scenes. I am very strict about the rate I will work for. I have called out producers for the way they want to pay me for my position, the way, so we'll discuss a rate, right? And then they'll put two shows on my lap instead of one. And I'm like, no, but you're paying me for one show, you know? But they're like, yeah, but there's so many people looking for jobs. And if you don't want it, then I'll give it to someone else. You know, I've, I've been unlawfully fired. I took them to CCMA. I didn't work for, I think, two and a half years because my name was synonymous with being a problem. I am, I'm problematic. So I was blacklisted. And it's not a formal thing. It's just producers speak to each other and they're like, no, this one's problematic. No, this one isn't loyal to production. No, this one is loyal to crew. Like I will complain about the fact that we've got our crew on an away job staying in a in a terrible hotel that I wouldn't sleep in. And I'll I'll bring that up and say, I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think it's acceptable that when extras are on set, they get really horrible food, whereas the principal characters eat good food. They're not animals. They're people as much as they're extras. But when you speak up, you get blacklisted. So what it does is that it affects your money. It affects your livelihood. So it's easier to just shut up and get on with it and take what you can get. Basically, I mean, the picture that you are projecting about, you know, issues in this fraternity is such that it's almost difficult or near impossible for artists to really do better because they are so vulnerable based yeah. on the populations. This is the picture that is emerging as you are giving us this insight. I don't want it all to be doom and gloom, you know, because I'm finding that with my generation, we are being a lot less accepting, you know, and my generation now was starting to become the producers, the executive producers. So there is the opportunity for it to change. And, and I'm really hoping that we do rise to the occasion. And the very things that we complained about are the things that we no longer implement. You know what I mean? So I don't wanna I don't wanna sit here and say it's all hopeless. I don't think it's hopeless. You know, but if we if we really are are accountable, and I mean I'm I'm being very honest about what my experience has been. Um, I've just become an executive producer. I've just started my own company and it really would be disingenuous of me to carry on with the status quo with the position I now find, find myself in. So I guess I'm just hoping that this generation begins to do things differently. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we will to be honest, you know, because we all sat together and we complained when we were young in the industry and we were like, things shouldn't be like this. And we spoke about the things that we change. And I'm just hoping that we really do rise to the occasion as a collective and change that because we really can change the face of this industry. And it's a beautiful industry. It's a necessary industry. You know, we make people laugh. We help, you know, we provide escapism. We 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 music heals people you know what i mean so what we're doing is important you know and i'm i guess i'm just hoping that we on the back end begin to treat it with the respect that it deserves it can change and i'm i'm really hoping that it does no it's quite clear that definitely change is required and some of you guys are can actually become trailblazers in making sure that the change happens but here's the thing, Palisa, before we, be, before we gravitate towards the next break, I just want us to, again, reflect on role models, instances where we've got 
sufficient role models that people can emulate um, to ensure that we harness or change the status quo. I want us to give us a sense of who do you think would be the role models um, from the corporate side of things mm. that would give arts and culture a new breath of life or racial fresher, if you like. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in. I am joined by Palisana Khaita, who is a filmmaker, producer and personal development coach. We are probing very complex issues around the arts and culture fraternity. We do know that art is such a critical aspect of our lives and yet the performers who ought to be successful financially, so, so, so to speak, they aren't. So Palace are really giving us insights on some of the challenges that are facing entrepreneurs in the art space. Mm-hmm. Before we took that break, I put it to her around who are the role models? What is it that the arts and culture can learn, national or internationally for that matter, so that we are able to elevate the status of this wonderful domain, if you like? I think we definitely need to be looking at the Fergusons. We need to be looking at the the Carol Bowers. These are people that started off, I mean, Karabo Moroka. <laughs> she was just Karabo Moroka. You know what I mean? And I remember and that. Yes, she was Karabo. That's who she was. You know, and man, look at her now. You know what her and her husband did, Shona, God rest his soul. What they did was they really looked at how they could use their position of fame. Because the thing is, fame does give you a step up. People, for some reason, people trust famous people. Like you'll call someone who's on a show to come be a motivational speaker at a school. You don't know if they can do it or not, but it edifies them, right? And I think if more of us looked at, okay, I'm now a face, people trust me. I'm edified by virtue of this character that people feel they know. How do I monetize this? How do I turn this into a business? They started a production house. They walked into places like NFVF, um, the National Film and Video Commission, into GFC, Gauteng, Gauteng Film Commission. And they said, we've got ideas. We've got shows. We've got, they were given funding by virtue. I'm not, and I'm not saying they didn't have uh, good business plans. I don't know what they had on paper. But what they did have were their faces. And they were like, how do we turn this into a business, right? And it's really that simple question. Once you find yourself in, the, in, in, in that position, you need to identify the fact that you are riding a wave. You need to ride it before it subsides. What happens with a lot of artists is that they only think of turning it into a business when they are no longer relevant, when no one wants to book them anymore and the wave has already subsided. When you are at your pinnacle, that's where you need to exploit that moment. Run as fast as you can. Do as much as you can. Um, Knock on as many doors as you can and you have to be intentional about it because there's always another star that's coming up that's going to be more famous than you at some point. You know, so create the business, create something sustainable in that moment when you're sitting on top. The Fergusons did it. Carol 
power did it. A lot of people have literally ridden on the wave of their fame and created literally a legacy for themselves. And I'm hoping that more people take charge of their lives in that way. More artists take charge of their lives in that way. Interesting observation. I mean, I mean, you really give us insights on some of the classical example of people in the industry that mm. have really made it and made it big. So if you could emulate these individuals or these entities that you have referred to, mm. this could be the beginning of a life-changing experiences for up-and-coming artists. That's your take, isn't it? Absolutely. One of the issues that you, you've raised that, which I found fascinating, is the need for entrepreneurs um, in the space to first and foremost, identify opportunities while they're still right. Explore yes. those opportunities, to use the word, ride the wave while while the tide is high, because once it dies down, it becomes really difficult. So mm-hmm. post is still relevant to politicians, it's still relevant to business networks. Use those uh, platforms to you know promote your business. Yes, leverage off of those. It only makes sense. <laughs> You know, when the president knows your name, when you walk into a room and everyone knows your name, why are you not speaking? Why are you not taking advantage of of that audience fully and wholly? Why are you not doing that? You know, and and I think we take it. The thing about that space is that it almost feels like you'll be there forever. You know what I mean? No one imagines that they're going to be a fallen star, right? No one Mm -hmm. ever imagines that I'm famous today and I'll, I'll be irrelevant in two years time. No one does, you know, but I think if people began to acknowledge that that's sometimes the journey they would make sure when they have an audience with the many people, with the influential people, that they're saying the right things and setting themselves up for when they aren't as famous. But they know, no, 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 I've, I've, I've cushioned my life and I'll be OK. I'll be more than OK. And, and I think that's that's another thing that that's lacking when you're there, man. It doesn't feel like you'll ever not be there. It doesn't ever feel like people won't know you. It doesn't ever feel like you won't be welcome in that room in the next in the next 12 months. Well, interesting observations again, uh, Balesa. Um, unfortunately, we have run out of time. We're going to leave it here. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on board. And I certainly hope the listener, you've really, you've really given listener some food for thought in terms of the complexities in this particular space. And in as much as there are a lot of challenges, but there are also opportunities which mm-hmm. you have presented to us that could ensure that the arts and culture fraternity becomes different. Thank you so much for having me. You know, um, I, I really, you know, I always say that I'm passionate about conversations that matter, you know, and I, I think this is one conversation that matters, you know, and 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 I hope that it reaches someone who is in the art space, maybe, and 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 inspires them to maybe not. Yes, there's a lot to complain about, but also um, there are ways. There are ways. And and I hope you know. There's something my brother always likes saying. He always likes saying, "You've got what it takes, but it's going to take everything you've got." You know. And and if that's the only takeaway, then then we would have done something good. <laughs> Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, Nimrod. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Balesa Macheta, who is a filmmaker, producer, and personal development. My goodness, this is probably one of the fascinating conversations I've had and in a very long time. Clearly, um, there's so much that art and culture can offer. We just need to empower every single individual. And again, issues around education, no doubt about it, very critical. And the issues around business management, no doubt about it, very critical. Issues about contracting and understanding the law of contracting and and being able to hold your own in a very competitive environment 
These aren't easy issues that we have just spoken about. However, if we are forthright in our, in our thinking, nothing can be defeated. Everything, everything can be done. Unfortunately, you're going to leave it here. It has been absolutely a pleasure. Let's do this again next week. Shalom. Beyond Governance was brought to you by Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.